Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stu and Blake. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we've got another sponsor to tell you about. Phil Supreme. They're a nationally recognized brand who offer only the very highest quality of natural supplements. Their extensive range includes a range of medicinal mushrooms, nootropics, anti-aging products, gut support products, green powders, vitamins, and much more. Yep, they've worked with fighters from all the top promotions, including UFC, Bellator, Brave, and Cage Warriors with a solid reputation of providing results. So check them out on Instagram, which is at Phil underscore Supreme, or their website, www.philsupreme.co.uk, and make sure you use the code MMAFAN for a cool 15% off your first order. Don't say we don't spoil you. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. How are you all doing? I'm Stu Whiffin, sitting opposite me via the means of Zoom. Blake Harrison, hello. Hello, mate. How are you doing? All right, all right. I'm loving. This is more fake than your fake hellos. We're pretending that we've just, we've just bumped into each other, even though we've just been looking at each other for the last hour and a half, yeah. having a chat. But that was, uh, well, it was, it was a great reason to sit opposite each other for an hour and a half because there was a third member on the Zoom chat, Nick Pete. What a gent. Oh, absolutely. Nick Pete, uh, you would recognise Nick Pete from a huge array of different uh, BT Sport coverage. Uh, he's, as we discussed uh, just now, he's so passionate about MMA and incredibly knowledgeable as well. He's been a journalist in fight sports for, for fighters only, for, for boxing news. Uh, for a really long time and uh, has obviously now made a great career in uh, not just working for BT Sport as as a, 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 a pundit and a, a journalist and, and a presenter, but also um, as, as as a podcaster as well on the Fight Disciples podcast that he does with Adam Cattrall. So yeah, we've got a really exciting chat for you, not just about uh, Nick Pete's journey into uh, combat sports and journalism and how he got into BT sports coverage and um, and some of his little stories that he's got about that, but also some predictions uh, for fights coming up in uh, the next few months, including, you know, Garn and Garnu, uh, Moreno Figueredo, Adesanya Whitaker, Makachev Dariush, and, and a few more fights as well, and where he thinks Connor's next fight may lie as well, all coming up for you. 
Absolutely. Um, also, when you finish this episode, um, if this is your first time listening to the MMA Fan Podcast, then go check out the back catalogue because um, we've got over 70 episodes now with you know some of the, the biggest names in this sport. So uh, subscribe and then you won't miss any. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to list off who we've had on because we do that on most episodes so you probably know by now but um, if this is your first time listening go and subscribe and have a little look we're on all the platforms and you can go and see who we've had on because I guarantee you'll recognise them all should we get on with today's episode? absolutely ladies and gentlemen here is Nick Pete hey how you going Nick you alright? I'm all good thanks Stu lovely to meet you buddy yeah good to meet you mate How's it going? How are you doing, Nick? You all right? Mate, I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, very good. I've just been uh, the UFC Fight Week 2021 Awards has just gone live now, so... Oh, nice. Retweeting the life out of it. I think it's on BT Sport tonight at uh, at 9 o'clock on BT Sport 1, but they put it on YouTube. Oh, brilliant. It's going on YouTube now yet, so our review of the year... So, oh, brilliant! We'll have to. I'll have lovely. to check that out. That'd be a good one. Mm. We'll have to see uh, what we got similar to what you guys done. So, oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Can't, yeah try, I'll try. I'll try. It's so crazy. I, I can't even remember what we uh, what we said. That. Oh yeah, now that was it. We well, we. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you've listened to our episode at all. But yeah, we we yeah. uh, we uh, we said our sub of the year was the Paul Craig one, even though it was yeah. a TKO. We were like, <laughs> we don't give a shit. You're not here for the, the legit <laughs> stuff here. The TK, don't give a shit. Paul Craig, sub of the year. We'll, um, we'll do what we want. It's our show. We do it. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. I love it. And how was your son's wrestling thing? It was good, mate. Yeah, it was good. I didn't expect to see Till, but I thought Till was still in Dubai. So, uh, but Till's clearly back in the country now as well. So, uh, but yeah, he, he does wrestling every Monday with Grundy, which is mad. You know, that's like Grundy. amazing. Teaching and he's seven, seven did you say? He's seven. Oh, yeah. that's amazing, man. That's yeah, just, so cool. He loves it. He loves it. So, I promised him if he does wrestling for a year, then he can switch over to Mutai next year because he just wants to kick stuff. But I'm like, no, no, come on. <laughs> I want you to learn how to balance first, get your footwork right, yeah. improve your strength. Listen, I don't want him to fight, obviously. But uh, he's on a martial arts journey that he'll be on throughout his life. So I thought, I'll start him in wrestling and then he can kind of work his way through then. So eventually I want to get him into jujitsu, but he's just not interested in that at the moment at all. So. Really? Yeah. yeah, see, my daughter had a, a Grapple Girls class tonight, and uh, she came back and she was like, so yeah, there was a girl smaller than me, but I choked her and I armbarred her. And then there was a girl taller than me, and I choked her and I armbarred her. And I was like, what girl? Yes. <laughs> so she, but she's she's loving it, man. I mean, she only goes like once a week. It's like an hour's class. And they're, I'm pretty sure that everyone there is just a beginner, and it's all like yeah. no-gi jiu-jitsu. But like, yeah. she's, just, she's just enjoying it. And it's that thing of like, I want to try and get her on like – I didn't really go for any kind of martial arts journey myself or anything like that, but I think it's just great for their confidence and for 100%. all that kind of stuff. Defend yourself. And I just think, yeah, go on, do, go and do that. And I want to try and go, go on, keep going, keep going. And then, you know, when they get older, if they're not interested, then fine. But they've got a base. They've yes. got something to fall back on, which I think is really important. And again, I don't necessarily want her to be a fighter or anything, but I want yeah. her to feel confident and comfortable and stuff you know just with having i've got nieces and nephews now that are like early teens late teens and it it frightens me the lack of actual human interaction they have that isn't involving some kind of social media or video or and fucking hell with the metaverse and all that kind of stuff i'm like 
I need my kids to have. You know, I, pl- I played football every weekend when I was a kid. I went to boxing clubs. I went to judo clubs. I went to tennis clubs. I did everything. You know, when we were kids, it was like, get ho- Saturday morning, get up, get on your bike. I'll see you when it's dark, mum. And you'd be out all day. No phones, no money in your pocket. You'd just go to someone's house and have a jam butty. And then you're back on your bike. You're on a bike ride all day. Yeah. But unfortunately, we just don't live in that world anymore. So, as if yeah. listen, we, me and my wife, we probably do clubs... You know, five out of the seven days a week. Um, people think we're mad, but you've got to get them out there, man. You've got to get the kids involved. Swimming clubs, football clubs. Like my daughter, I race back from wrestling on a Monday and I don't even pull on the drive. I park up outside. My wife and daughter run out and get in the car. We come in the house and they race the gymnastics. So, but that's, oh, that's, that's what it's like, isn't it? It's, it's, it's exactly right, though, what you're saying, Nick. It's like my, my kids are like 18 and 16 now, but at, when they were sort of about 12 and 10, like, I was like, right, I'm going to take you down to Muay Thai Club. I want you to learn Muay Thai. And because they were sitting there and... It'd be like sort of four or five nights. They wouldn't be doing anything, and like, and you'd be trying to engage with them, and the phones were in their hands, yeah. and they were just. It was all revolving around that, and I was like, "Come, on, I want you to learn how to. I want you, Sans, and I mean it with the greatest respect. I wanted them to be able to look after themselves, and because I've been a teenage boy as well, yeah. and I just think I want them to know that if teenage boys can be, you know, teenage boys, I want them to be able to feel completely confident to tell them where to go. Yeah. And and it was it was something that that was really important for me that, that both of them just learned, as, as you said, Blake, learned the fundamentals, done it for a few years. It was quite scary to see how quickly they pick it up. I was watching my daughter throw a kick and thinking, that took you two weeks. That took me about a year and a <laughs> half. Like, that can't be right. <laughs> right. But yeah, I just, I think once you've got that, that fundamentals, again, by the time they get to, you know, I think kids get to sort of 14, 15, 16, then they start kind of developing that interest in the opposite sex or whatever yeah. and then like other things you know growing up gets in the way and then all of a sudden they're they're having a tinny in the park rather than you know wanting to go and play football or wanting to do that and it's like you know you see so many kids go through the martial arts clubs that get to sort of 16 and they've been great throughout their career to get 16 17 and then pub culture kicks in and all of a sudden yeah. you know they, they, they lose interest but if you've got them fundamentals you know full well at any given point you can go back there and you're not a beginner. You've, you've got that base. Do you know what I'm the saying? Be- the beauty of these MMA gyms now as well, because obviously it didn't exist when we were kids, but like I take them to Cowbon. I'm very lucky. I, I, I used to train Muay Thai there with Colin Heron years ago, so that's why I've got a real good relationship with all the fighters out of that gym. But, you know, it's wrestling class followed by a Muay Thai class followed by, you know, jiu-jitsu. Then they do a, 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 a no-gi class. Then they've got a gi class. Then they've got this. Then they've got that. So... Back back when I was a kid, it was like, oh, Dad, I want to do karate. Okay, yeah, we're going to go to the YMCA, do karate. Right, I've done that six months. It's boring now. I want to go and do judo. Right, okay, I'll go and find a judo club over the other side of town because obviously the karate and judo doesn't cross and this doesn't happen. Whereas the MMA gyms now, it's like, if you just feel comfortable in that gym, you can go, right, I'm going to leave wrestling for six months, 12 months, whatever now. I'll go and do Muay Thai on a different night because my little mate who I go wrestling with... He does Muay Thai on a Tuesday, so I'll go and do that instead. Great, okay. We'll leave wrestling. We'll focus on this. So I just want him to feel comfortable there. And obviously, I, 
the problem with MMA at the moment, and we'll probably talk about this later, is we don't have a governing body. We're not governed by anybody. It's, a, it's, it's the Wild West. You know, that's why I'm part of Emma, I'm part of the English Mixed Martial Arts Association, to try and get Sport England and the government to recognise us as a collective, as a, charit- as a, as a, um, a, a charitable organisation, that we will govern the sport and make sure that every gym has got changing facilities for boys and girls, that every coach has got a police check, that every coach has got a qualification that allows them to coach Muay Thai or whatever it may be, MMA is a thing. So that's all That's all kind of part of it now. And to be at a club like Carbon, which is ticks all the boxes and you want every club to, to be based on, to have that on my own doorstep and to have a seven-year-old son that's hungry to kick things, then I'd be crazy not to drag them down there. So, yeah, I love it. I love, and it's a social thing for me because I'm sitting with the fighters. I'm chatting with Grundy's young son, Jack. Then Till comes in with a big fat belly from Dubai. I'm chatting with Till <laughs> and everything else. So it's class. You know, it's a social thing. So I love it. Yeah, it's great. Well, admit, I mean, Excellent. we... To be honest, but I almost want to say to you, can we use some of this chat that we've just had in the actual podcast? Because I feel like that's actually really interesting. But in, uh, in, in it, we should really crack on with talking about, about you. So I don't know if we should do the, the fake hello, yeah. <laughs> even though we've just been chatting for, for 15 minutes, just in case. But I'll probably send you a message saying, do you mind if we use any of that stuff at the start? I thought that's quite interesting. Not but um, Nick Pete, how you doing, mate? <laughs> Good. Good. Thank you, Blake. Um, thank you for having me on. Thank you for having no. me on, guys. You're more than welcome. Absolute you pleasure, know. Mate. You might have been listening to you for the last five minutes anyway. But, uh, Nick, <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You've got such a unique insight into the world of, of MMA and, uh, and obviously boxing as well, combat sports in general. But I suppose what I want to know is, is, is from the start, how, how did you get into combat sports as a fan? Before you realised it was a career path for you, how as a fan did, did combat sports open up to you? Uh, as a kid, I, you know, like everybody, had to go with everything, Muay Thai, Judo, you know, Karate, so I always had a bit of an interest, and then there was martial arts movies and everything else, and then, you know, you stumble across the Rocky series, and, you know, like most young lads, um, I fell in love with Rocky as a character, and, the, and, and that, you know, that whole kind of story, the Rags to Riches story. When I was a kid, uh, my cousin uh, was actually in the ABA Championships, uh, a couple of times when I was really young, seven or eight, and I've got vivid memories of my dad taking me along to the the amateur championships to follow him, and you know people like Andy Holligan and Paul Hodgkinson were in them at those times. Who would go on to become world champion, Oco, um, and it, and in Liverpool, it's it's kind of in us, you know. There's there's three things in Liverpool. You've got to be good at one of them. One's football, one's fighting, and one's comedy. You know, if you can't do any of them, you're not a proper scouser. So you'll, you'll probably find that most scousers can kick a ball to some extent, can throw a punch at some extent, and, and can crack a gag at some stage. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's kind of always been in me. My dad's always been a massive fight fan, even though he's, he's made a career in football. Uh, my house just evolved around sports. You know, it was just football every weekend, clubs every night of the week. As we mentioned earlier, I'm doing a similar thing now with my kids. And um, I, comp- I had a go at everything. I was good at tennis. I was good at golf. I was good at, I was decent at football. Got to a, a decent level, you know, uh, played for Merseyside schoolboys and all that kind of stuff. So I was just a sporty kid. Um, but even as a young age, I remember going to boxing gym and I remember training and I remember loving the training and loving the physical side of it. And once they said, get in the ring with a pair of gloves and, and spar, 
I remember as a young lad thinking, this is the scariest place in the world. And it put me off. It put me off big time as a kid. I mean, Dad had taken me originally to, to get me a little bit stronger for the football pitch, because that was my dream. How old would you have been then, Nick? Uh, probably about 10, 11, 12, around that age. So I was playing football at a decent level, schoolboy level. Um, I had aspirations to be a footballer and all that stuff. And my dad took me to boxing gym. Um, Wavertree ABC it was then. And it was actually the first gym of Tony Bellew, I believe. Um, Bellew was actually in my school a couple of years younger than me, which I've got. His, his older brother was in my class in school. But, but yeah, I, I remember going to boxing gym and just thinking, this is not like any other sport I've ever experienced. You know, Playing, I've played competitions in tennis, I've done karate, I've done this, I've played football in big cup finals with hundreds of people on the touchline, I've been abroad to play football, I've done this, but getting, actually getting in a boxing ring and sparring somebody else, I just remember the, the, the fear I got in me, in me heart as a kid, just thinking, wow, this is, this is, this is not in my makeup, this is fascinating. And, it, and for years it put me off. I used to love training and I used to love going to boxing then and, and, and watching boxing. But the actual sparring of it, it just put me off big time until, you know, until I was in my early 20s. Um, but around the same time, friends of my daddy who we played football with, my dad played football at a decent level. They were professional boxers, people like Tony Carroll, Alan Levine, people like that. And Alan Levine, when I was 14, was on the undercard of Nigel Ben versus... Uh, versus Chris Eubank at Castle Grayskull at Old Trafford and um, even though and Alan had organised a bus for my dad's football team to go and watch him to go and watch him on the undercard of the fight and my dad had got me a ticket so I'm on this bus with a crazy load of you know uh, football lads just me and my dad 14 year old me going to Castle Grayskull uh, a football ground that I've only ever been to once for that match burn it down please uh, for that fight but that night, even though Alan Levine actually got pulled from the card, that night I remember standing on the chair with Eubank made this ring walk, Nigel Ben made this ring walk. They fought to a draw, and I truly believe on the, that night that changed me forever. Suddenly, it was no, my world didn't evolve around football no more. My world suddenly boxing became a huge and huge part of my life. After that moment, everything changed. And that was a glorious moment for the British middleweight oh. scene, wasn't it? That, that, that era was ridiculous. Absolutely, yeah. Certainly. I mean, th- them two fighters, and obviously Watson and Collins, uh, and, and then even just before that, like Harold Graham, yeah. like watching Harold Graham, like wonderful. What, what I do want to ask you, though, Nick, like around the time I sort of experimenting with all of these sports and, and having a real passion for them, and where did the, the journalism come from? Was that something like was you writing about it at fanzines at school or anything like? Where, where did the writing start to sort of develop itself? I was always I was always pretty naturally academic. So you know, in in school I was in, you know, I was in top sets for all classes. I didn't. I, I wasn't a kid that had to work hard. I just I just kind of you know I, I found it quite quite straightforward to pick up. So uh, going through GCSEs and and A levels and stuff like that, I didn't really find. I know that sounds mental, but I just kind of cruised through it a little bit because um, I loved it. You know, I, I was I was captain of the school football team. I was on the basketball team, the cricket team. 
you know, I was in the drama club. I was, you know, Red Nose Day at school. I was age 16 on Red Nose Day at the local comprehensive, one of the roughest schools in Liverpool. And I got on stage dressed in a tutu and sang Dizzy by Vic Reeves in front of the entire school. <laughs> that, that was just kind of... My sister's a, a professional actress. She's a stand-up comedian. So maybe that's a little bit of her rubbing off on me. Um, so I, 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 I never miss school. I never skip school, ever. I know that sounds mental, but I loved it. I loved the social, social, social aspect of it. And English, I think, was my best subject. You know, I really, really enjoyed English, really enjoyed the written word, poetry, stuff like that when I was a kid. Uh, even though it wasn't cool, I, I, it didn't really bother me. You know, I was into it. And then I got to, a, I got to 15, 16, and I was, training, I was up at Burnley. Um, and my dad was a coach up there at the time. And uh, I remember in the car on the way home, my dad basically said to me, listen, it ain't happening. You, you know, you ain't going to make a career in football. So, you know, you need to you need to think about what you're going to do academically and everything else. And um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was on course to go and do uh, A-levels and then... Just, just quickly, Nick, how was that? How was that, having that realisation and, and, and being told that, like, I don't think this is going to happen? Uh, my dad had been my football coach, you know, basically when I became... Uh, eight, nine, ten. My dad stopped playing football to to coach me, to coach my teams, and he'd played at a decent level. I knew that, you know. He, he at one point he got signed pro, but it didn't kind of work out. M- mad story there, but um, he'd because um, he'd always been my coach, and whenever we played, whenever I'd gone through the the age groups and stuff, certainly after that point as well, you know, it became quite evident that I was I was never the best player in the team. Um, but up until that point, you know, I was playing, as I say, playing decent level. But my dad, uh, my dad has always been honest with me. You know, he's always been my biggest fan and most supportive critic as well. And to be honest, when the conversation came, I knew, you know, I, I knew it was yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to fool myself. You know, it wasn't suddenly like somebody suddenly uh, turned the lights off on me. I'd got to that age where my dad was dragging me to training instead of me dragging him. You know, I wanted to go on with my mates. I wanted to you know, rob a couple of bottles of beer and go and stand in the park and chat up the girls and everything else. That I was at that stage in my life where, okay, I'm on the verge of going to the pub now. I'm going nightclubbing and doing that whole scene, you know. I was, the rave culture had kicked in. Everybody wanted to go to Ibiza. You know, that was all on my horizon. I was thinking, there's no way I'm staying in every night of the week for football training. So, so when it came, I kind of expected it. But at that point, I still had no idea you know, what my future was going to be. And it was only after I'd finished A-levels, I was go to, I was about to do a, an English degree. And I went to see a mate of mine. He was on a, a culinary course. He was training to be a chef uh, at a college in Liverpool. And also at the college, there was a hairdressing college. So basically it was just, he, he basically said to me, come down to our college because I can feed you for free. And there's just hairdressers everywhere. So it's wicked to go on the pull. So I was like, I'm there, I'm going. So I hung around there for a couple of weeks, obviously, for, for various reasons. And uh, I was wandering around the college one day and literally turned the corner and it just said, you know, journalism class. And it was like year two of this journalism course. And it was a post-grad journalism course. So I had a chat with the the, the, the lady who was running, a girl called Sandy Felton, who worked for The Guardian for many years. And she said, yeah, when you finish your degree, come on in and, you know, take part and uh so i was like would well, you mind if i sit in for a, for my course doesn't start for a few weeks do you mind if i sit in on the course and see if i like it and she was like yeah yeah of course no problem and i never left 
I never went away to do my degree. I just stayed on that post-grad course for two years, got a job and started on the weekly newspapers and the rest, you know, as you say, is history then. So you stayed on a post-grad course when you weren't a post-grad? Yes, correct. How is that? Is that allowed? Correct. That I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it just happened. It just happened. I just got Did on the course. Did you walk away with a qualification or were they oh, yeah. just like, oh, it's, it's, it's that guy that's just yeah. been here for two years. Let's make one for him. We yeah, don't exactly. tell him it's not real. Yeah, we'll exactly. just see if he goes into the world and gets a job or something. Yeah. Well, the second, the second year of the course, it was three days a week at the newspaper and and two days a week at college or four days at the newspaper, one day at college. So basically, you know, I basically did full-time work experience for a year as the second year of the course. And at the end of it, they were like, well, you, you're doing the job. You, we may as well give you a job. So my first ever full-time job in journalism was with the Liverpool Weekly Newspapers, the Mersey Mart, as it was known then. And I was on eight grand a year. That was my salary. Um, so I had to work full time. I had to work every night of the week, stacking shelves in Tesco's for two years until I worked my way up the ranks a little bit. But listen, obviously, again, it's part of my journey, isn't it? And was part of that journey to sort of gravitate, you know, from from writing for the paper to the to the back pages and get 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 to the sports section? Was sports journalism the ultimate goal? At that, that point? was the only that was the only goal, the only destination. You know, when I when I had a chat with with the with the course tutor before I even went on the course, I, I was basically, you know, I said, I, I love English. I think I could be good at this. And she was like, what are you doing now? I said, well, you know, I wanted to be a footballer. That's not happening. So I'm kind of doing this. And she was like, yeah, but you do realize you could get a career talking about football. And that was like the light bulb moment. And I was like, oh yeah, wow. Okay. And that was when I went in, that was, I was fully committed. Then I was like, right, I'm going to become a journalist. I'm going to be a football journalist. And I was, you know, that, that as soon as I got onto the weeklies, as soon as I got that, that, uh, the second year of my course, I went into the weekly papers and was like, right, who's writing your, your back pages? Oh, that guy does it like in his spare time. Right. I'll do that. I'll just do all the sports. So I've never really covered anything but sports from pretty much from day one. Wow. That's such an amazing moment. It must be such a great light bulb moment to go. Oh fuck! My passion. I can I can make money off of that passion yeah. that I've got. That that's an incredible an incredible moment. How how did I mean I'm 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 leaping forward in time here, obviously. Um, but how did BT Sport come about? Because I mean, you look at that and you go, God, what must that interview or phone call have been like? If you're someone that's put years and years of your life into sports journalism, particularly combat sports, and then you've got this huge company like BT Sport who have got the rights to the UFC. What's I mean, I've admitted on this podcast, I'm not the biggest boxing fan ever, but MMA, I could watch all day. And they've got the UFC as like their brand. How is that walking into either that, that interview or, or maybe you'll tell us a story about how that came about, but how is that going, oh, fuck, this is like kind of the pinnacle of where, or it feels to me as an outsider, as a fan, because I... I look at yourself and Adam Catterall and I go, God, I, I feel as an actor, I've got the best job in the world. I wouldn't change that for anything. But I tell you what, I look at you two and I go, oh, I'm close to thinking about it. You know, the, you know, it's the thought of going, oh, Blake, we're going to just, we're going to fly you to, to Abu Dhabi and, you know, we're going to, you're going to go and just chat to Khabib and Poirier or whatever it is. And then, uh, you know, you'll you get a nice hotel there and, and we'll give you a paycheck at the end of it. I'll be like, yes, please. And I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this podcast would go, fuck yeah, that, that sounds amazing. So, so I, I want to know, it's a very long-winded way of asking you a single yeah. question. But like, how was, 
the process leading up to either the interview or the story of how you got that job. And then how was it after? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. To go on like your first job abroad in Vegas or Dubai, wherever it was going, Jesus, this is insane. Yeah. So I, 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 um, I moved, I got into basically work my way up. I lived in Australia for a year. I took a little bit of a sabbatical once in my career and kind of planned it to its way out. And then I came back to the UK and was the boxing editor for the Liverpool Echo. And then by 2005, the emergence of MMA, uh, I started writing about MMA as well as boxing for them. So I always had an interest in both fight sports. I quickly got rid of football completely because the once I got to know the footballers and the brand and the and the business of football, Premier League football, especially at Liverpool Football Club, which are my my own club that I love. Once I knew what went on behind the scenes and the personalities, the people involved. I completely and utterly hated covering football, completely and utterly, and I switched off completely from it. I'm back in love with it again now because I don't know anybody in the game anymore. But I, I, I dedicated myself 100% to fight sports. And then in, uh, I left the Liverpool Echo and went to London, worked at Boxing News and was covering boxing full-time. Loved it down there. That was brilliant, but I just couldn't adapt to London. I'm a proper northern lad and, you know, London just wasn't for me. And then an opportunity came up to speak to the owners of Fighters Only in 2011. Um, and they were looking for a new editor. And Fighters Only is the world's biggest mixed martial arts magazine. I'd been uh, covering UFC anyway prior to joining Boxing News. Um, and I had a chat with them, and, and it, we, it was just a great fit. Timing was everything. So I basically became editor of Fighters Only. So I was traveling the world anyway, covering UFC from a magazine standpoint and organizing photo shoots all over the world for the magazine and you know building up relationships. And then, of course, I spent six years organizing the World MMA Awards on behalf of Fighters Only as well. I was an instrumental part of that. So I was in that world. I was living that UFC world. And then what happened was... Uh, I had a phone call 
from BT Sports, um, basically saying we've got this magazine show. It's uh, OJ Borge, who, who's currently presenting on BBC Radio 2, uh, Dan Hardy, and we're going to do a magazine show out of this broom cupboard in London, and we're just going to talk about UFC, bits and bobs, and it's a, it's a, it's a monthly show, and what we're going to do is we're going to use, rotate it and use a different journalist every month. And would you like to be our first journalist on episode one? And I was like, yeah, sure, of course, no problem. So went down to London. Me and Dan, we knew each other anyway. Dan was writing for Fighters Only. I was not his editor, but he was sending me his column. You know, I feel rude saying I was, I was Dan's editor because his, fucking Dan's a wonderful wordsmith anyway. All I did was can put it straight in the magazine. So we had a relationship, obviously. I covered Dan's career as well. Um, so we were friends and went down. We, did, we basically made a pilot, episode one. Went really well. They phoned me the next week and said, listen, we're going to abandon the idea of using a different journalist every show. We're just going to use you. So, And we're, what we're going to do is we're going to bring in a different celebrity. So we're actually going to add somebody else to the sofa, which was great. So we did a run of shows. We probably did about a dozen shows. I got to hang out with amazing people like Scroobius Pip, who was on your show just before Christmas, who's an absolute encyclopedia of MMA as well. Uh, and it was great. And obviously we, uh, that relationship with BT kind of started then. And then BT moved different ways. They, they'd lost the contract briefly, or they almost did, and it was going to go to 11 Sports, if you remember, and then suddenly I, BT came back in. I was in. furious yeah. I had that news, because I had a BT Sport thing, and I was, like, I, was, I was like, what's this 11 Sports? How am I going to get a UFC? I was, honestly, for like three or four days, I was fuming about yeah, that. Exactly. So once BT said, no, no, we, obviously we've got the contract again, uh, myself... By then, I was doing Fight Disciples with Adam. I'd left Fighters Only. I'd quit to start a podcast, which, you know, at the time, my wife was, we just had a baby. My wife was like, what's a podcast? You're quitting a job. You're basically one of the most senior, you know, you're head of the only glossy, full print magazine, global magazine in the sport of MMA that you love. And you want to quit it to start a podcast with your mates? What is that all about? But anyway... Uh, me and me and Adam have become established. Right, though, yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Do you do you bring that up with the missus every now and again? Uh, like any time that she questions a decision, you go, "Well, you remember the podcast?" Yeah, exactly. That, that went all right, didn't it? <laughs> exactly. If I'm sitting there choosing a movie on Netflix, I'm like, "Wait a minute! Whoa, whoa, whoa!" <laughs> I said I'll start a podcast. So it's, you know, it's a fine. But uh, but what happened is everybody who I knew at BT that I was doing bits with, uh, they were starting to listen to the podcast. They became fans of Adam. So we kind of got a foot in the door that way. And then what happened was myself, Adam and Dan went to Dan's house and we filmed the pilot ourselves. We, we, got, we actually used Gary who works on the crew of BTs, freelancer for them. A guy called Ben Chilliberti who now works for the UFC based in Vegas. We kind of had this little crew together, went round to Dan's house and we filmed the first ever episode of what is now Fight Week, you know, and... Um, we sent it to BT and they were like, this is fantastic. It's exactly what we want. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. We'll do episode one at UFC London. This was like three years ago, four years ago, but we don't want Nick. No word of a lie. We don't want Nick. Honestly, I was fuming. I was like, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I facilitated this. So, yeah, they didn't use me for episode one. They used um, they used John Kavanagh. They brought John Kavanagh in for episode one. So it was Adam, Dan, and John Kavanagh with the first ever show. And obviously, I've got then the, the crew 
and the t- the in- camera team, they're going, listen, it would work better with Nick. But the producers were going, no, 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 it- it's okay. We're going to use somebody else. So then episode two, they uh, they got Darren Stewart lined up. Darren Stewart's a great guest, great interviewer. But they said, well, listen, do us a favor. Even though we've got Darren, for the last 15 minutes of the show, can we take Darren out and just bring Nick in? Just to do like a fan kind of little poppy bit at the end. So the producer, the director, got his arm bent up his back and was like, okay, okay, we'll get Nick in just for the last 10 minutes of the of episode two. And then, you know, thankfully that was all they needed to see. They seen it then that we had good chemistry and then that was uh we, we got it done in the end. But yeah, yeah. It was it was a show we put together at Dan's house. That's amazing. Because again, I, I think I remember that that first ever episode with with John Kavanagh as well. Yeah. And I remember looking because again, I I mean, obviously, I knew nothing about what was going on behind the scenes and how it all came about. But I was like, oh, this is what I want. I want an MMA show where I can just watch up and I was like the lead up to the big fight coming up, predictions, but also a bit of banter and stuff as well. That that that's exactly what you know. Football fans have had Soccer AM for the last like twenty five years or whatever the hell it's been. Yeah. MMA doesn't have like an equivalent to that. And it feels like, I know that it is far more of a niche sport, obviously, than, than football, but it does feel like there's room for entertainment to run along just the kind of sporting aspect of MMA. And, and it, yeah. it, that, that show sort of started to feel that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's all based on the fact that we had great camaraderie you know we were all mates and it just works so well and obviously now in it's in it's in it's new guys with with uh, mike bispin coming in for dan of course you know you've, you're basically bringing in another northerner you know what could possibly go wrong you know bispin's mad as a box of frogs ticks every box so uh so yeah listen it's an absolute pleasure to be on the show i often get people coming at me and saying you know um, I'm the luckiest fella in the world because, you know, I, as you said, Blake, I, I get to fly all over the world talking about a sport that not only do I love, but I'm absolutely passionate about and I live for. And, you know, as I say to my wife, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd still do the BT Sport Fight Week show. Yeah. You know, I, I would. I genuinely would. I'd, I'd do it for free because, well, I wouldn't do it for free. Don't tell them that. But I, I, even if I was financially <laughs> secure, I would still do it because... Uh, because it's so much fun, you know, and, and as I say, if, if I didn't need the money, I'd still be up at four o'clock in the morning waiting for UFC main events. Yeah. So, you know, I may as well get paid for it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I just want to touch on Fight Disciples uh, before we move. There's so much we've got here to, to ask you. And obviously, we, you know, we, we, we appreciate that you're giving a bit of your time tonight uh, for us, Nick. But with, with Fight Disciples, for, for those that haven't heard it, if you was to sort of point them in the direction of a specific episode to go, right, go to this episode because this will give you a cross-section. We nailed it on here with exactly what we wanted to do with a podcast. Like, if you could say, go and check this one out because this really does now what Fight Disciples is about. Um, actually, I think the I show... I will that... be offended if you don't pick the one that I did. Yeah. <laughs> just, I'll be deeply offended. So just, please, I'm a sensitive guy. Do spare yeah. my feelings. Just, yeah. Listen, the best show we did last year was the one Blake was on, obviously. That was, yeah, the, that's all that was the best now, show by a, by a now mile. you can carry on and answer exactly. the question honestly. But yeah, I just needed that one little pick-up. That's all. <laughs> You can carry on, but Blake's going to edit it out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listen, I I thought the show that we did two weeks ago, the review of the year, you know, we did a... Well, the thing with Fight Disciples, we do two shows a week. You know, the original plan was to do one show 
when we when we first sat down, me and Adam, and I'd only known him about six weeks when we decided to go for a beer and and discuss the possibility of starting a podcast. Um, we were like, listen, the crossover between boxing and MMA. It's huge because we were crossover fans and we thought we were the majority, not the minority. And we were like, we'll do a fight. We'll come up with the name Fight Disciples. We just, people that worship the fight sports, a knockout to knockout. We'll just do one big show for everybody and we'll get guests on and everything else. And that's kind of where we started. And then over the years, we found that the relationship that we have together is what kind of drives the most listeners, that people want more than anything else. Um, so we do far less interviews than we used to do. We have completely segregated the boxing and the UFC show because we had a lot of people saying, listen, you guys are so knowledgeable, but I kind of forward the UFC bits or I forward the boxing bits to get to the bits that I want. So we broke it up into two separate shows for that reason. But the crossover now is huge that we're a little bit further down. I think you're finding that a lot, you know, UFC for where it is now to where it was just six, seven years ago is way more popular and it is way more crossover fans but from day one you know adam's background is commercial radio originally you know he was a he was a funky radio one dj and a a dj gate crasher and things like that and then it was only london 2012 when he moved over into you know sports broadcasting full time but listen i i'm the lucky when people say i'm lucky i've got the luckiest job in the world I believe I'm lucky because I met Adam. You know, I think we gel so well and I'm lucky that my mate just happens to be, in my opinion, the best sports presenter today. So I got way lucky because he's the guy that can fly any ship under any kind of pressure with minimal information. Like people, when we, when we go to the US, especially all the crew at ESPN and everything always like, I don't understand how you guys do a two and a half hour live show with no notes with no earpieces to speak to the producer, with no nothing, you just do it. <coughs> and I'm like, well, that's that's Adam's experience of all these years on commercial radio and doing live shows and everything else that he's able to but just that pick also up. also comes down to good good connection between the two of you, yeah, mate. That's not of that's not just on it. That's obviously credit to you as well. That's that's the connection there that makes that work. Yeah, I think we we kind of and it's knowledge not, of the subject, knowledge of the it. sport that that really helps you because exactly. you can just talk about it for days without, as you say, the notes and stuff like that. Yeah, like, like I, and and with passion. Yeah, well, I, I do like we do live commentary now. You know, whether it's Talksport, BBC Five Live, or um, <clears throat> you know, we do a lot of boxing stuff with Pabellum and the Zone and stuff like that, but. You know, I'll sit ringside and I've sat ringside with people with, you know, notes stacked this high that they've spent, you know, stayed up till midnight for the previous three nights making notes on every single fight and you've got all these sound bites and I don't do anything. Literally nothing. I have the fight fight card in front of me and if I manage to get a pen, I'll scribble down how many knockouts or whatever because it's not a job to me. This is my life. I'm obsessed with it. I love fight sports. So I don't need someone to say, what did Calvin Cater do in his last fight? Who's he fighting this weekend? What are the implications of it? Or what if Jakadze does, you know, knock him out in the first round? Can he call out Volkanovski? Is there a chance Jakadze gets that title fight and jumps ahead? I don't need notes for that because this is all I ever talk about. This is all I ever watch on TV. You know, I stay up till... Midnight, one o'clock in the morning, most nights, watching reruns of fights and, you know, countdown shows and everything else. Not necessarily because it's a job, but because I'd be doing that anyway. This is what I enjoy. So, I, so I listen, I am super lucky and I know that 
that I've managed to, I've found that golden thing in life where, you know, you make your occupation, your passion, and, and it's a cliche, but you'll never work a day again in your life. And I, I kind of feel like that. Um, but that's not to say I don't put the hours in either. You know, I, I, I do watch an awful lot of fights and, you know, I've been covering MMA since 2005, 2006, you know, so I, I'm, I'm probably one of the, mo- the more elder statesmen in terms of covering the sports. But I tell you what, I've seen some crazy shit come and go over the years and all that. <laughs> some mad well, stuff. I mean, we're very aware of, of time. We don't want to take up too much time, but we want we want some juice. We want some juicy gossip, Nick. You know, what's, what's kind of the, the best fighter interactions you've had? Or have you got any kind of go-to anecdotal stories that, you know... I'm sure you've got some that you won't tell us because they're ones you can't tell anyone. Uh, so, especially on a podcast. But is there anything you say that's like either been like something that maybe even just meant something to you? Like, oh my god, the first time I interviewed or met so and so. Anything, anything that you could share with us? Um, the <clears throat> I've, the first time I seen the first time I went abroad to watch UFC um, was UFC 118, and that was in Boston. And it was um, Frankie Edgar versus BJ Penn. Uh, and on the undercard, if you remember, Randy Couture fought James Tony in the first big crossover, the first, you know, the first modern modern crossover, if you like. Um, uh, and that experience was just absolutely bonkers. And Frankie Edgar is one of those fighters that left a lasting legacy on me. And when I was editor of Fighters Only, I had such a soft spot for him. He had those incredible fights with Gray Maynard and obviously yeah, BJ God. and then... You know, for some reason, Benson, excuse me, Benson Henderson just had his number, and people forget about that now. You know, when you know we were laughing about it, unfortunately, but you know we could you could have had a knockout of the year last year on just on Frankie Edgar. The amount of times he got absolutely starched, heartbreaking to see. But that's what the sport is, man. It's unforgiven. But you know, just on that night, I, I got to see BJ Penn fight live, and that meant a lot to me at the time because I was like, "Fuck, it's BJ Penn, man. This is amazing." This will go down in, in history. I've seen BJ Penn fight live three times. I've never seen him win. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I've seen, oh. I've sat ringside for Anderson Silva four times. I've never seen him win. Well, oh, I'm assuming man. you were there for <laughs> Bisping Silva because I was cage side for that. And I was sat next to one of the Noguera brothers. I can't remember which one it was. And, Honestly, when that flying knee hit at the end of round three, but then and they jumped up and then they were like, no, it's not the end. And round four came out and me and my brother jumped up. But then we looked at Noguera and we were like, I probably shouldn't celebrate too much. <laughs> He's quite a scary looking dude. Um, but, it's, but like that to me is the best sporting event I've ever been at live. Just because, and, and to be honest, other than I think Brad Pickett fighting on that card, I can't remember anything else about the card. I can only remember the main event because it was just so intense and so yeah. amazing. There was so much to take in with it. There was so much emotion and, and everything that went with that fight that was just so incredible. Um, that I, that the rest of the night, other than that fight, is, is pretty much just gone from my brain. I, I didn't have space, memory space, to, to store <laughs> any, any other moments other than from the moment Bisping walked out to kind yeah. of the moment he left the cage. And I've got a few photos of it. And I was just like, it just blew my mind. Yeah, absolutely incredible. You know what? I had a similar emotion last year at UFC 268, which for me was the event of the year. Yeah. Just watching that 15 minutes, that opening on the main card, and everyone inside Madison Square Garden 
It was like the whole capacity crowd had fought and taken every punch. You know, the the, the sense that that fight that came afterwards, that Billy Q Quarantio fight, yeah. oh, mate, that was a cracking fight. Yeah, but Burgos, nobody had, isn't it? Burgos, yeah, Burgos, Burgos, but yeah. nobody had any energy left to celebrate. <laughs> nobody had the energy left to clap. Everyone was still looking at each other, hugging each other, just like, oh my goodness, what have I just witnessed? And yes, that was the highlight of last year. But when I look back over my time, certainly covering UFC over the last decade, it's littered with those moments. You know, I was when you if you go back and watch the replay of um, Chris Weidman knocking out Anderson Silva the first time. When you watch the replay, the, you see the I'm front row on the press row, and when he catches him with that final shot, I literally stand to my feet now, of course, that you can't do that on a press row. You're supposed to be control yourself, control your emotions, don't get involved. But just in that moment, because I'd built up so much finally getting to see Anderson Silva fight live, you know, what it meant to me. He was the GOAT, he was this, he was that. Finally getting to sit ringside, I'm front row. Oh my word, this is going to be special. But then, you know, we had fighters only. One of our best partners, one of our close relationships was Bad Boy. And Bad Boy were Chris Weidman's sponsors at the time. So I'd spent a lot of time with Bad Boy, with Chris Weidman, with his whole team, John Danaher, everything else. So there was an affinity there as well. So when he knocked him out, I just kind of lost me shift for a second because I was like, <laughs> oh my God, Anderson Silva's been knocked out. This is amazing. And on the replay, you literally see me stand up, slack jaw, like... What the heck is going on? <laughs> so, yeah, there's been so many of them moments as well, so many. But there's also been like crazy moments. So I'll take you back to uh, 2013 um, UFC Fuel on TV: Henan Barral versus Michael McDonald at, uh, wow. at Wembley Arena or whatever it was. So we go the way in. Um, I'm working fighters only at the time, not BT, you know, weigh-in, blah, blah, blah. And I goes in the bar after the weigh-ins, having a couple of drinks in the Hilton Hotel. Next minute, you know, Matt Riddle walks in. Now, Matt Riddle's just weighed in. Uh, he's fighting Shea Mills tomorrow night. It's on. It's kicking off the main card. Matt Riddle's a big personality. Shea Mills, you know, big following in the UK. Matt Riddle comes in, sits down next to me at the bar, and I'm like, hey, Matt, yeah, 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 good. You know, just I don't know him. I'm just, just saying hello. On his own, orders a pint. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> next thing you know, he's drinking his, next thing you know, he orders another pint. So I, so I went, you're not fighting tomorrow, Matt? I thought, fuck, he's an exclusive here. See, are you, are you not fighting tomorrow, Matt? No, is, is the fight off? And he just went, no, no, I'm fighting. And I was like, okay, can I buy you a beer? We must have drank about easy 10 pints. We had a <laughs> We were absolutely hammered in the Fighters Hotel bar. Hammered. If there was a karaoke, we'd have been on it. That's how pissed we were. Can, you know, rides off into the night. I get up the next day, bit of a hangover. But listen, I'm not working till the evening. It's fine. I get Saturday mornings off. Uh, and I'm just thinking, I can't believe Matt Riddle sank that many beers last night. He's fighting Shea Mills. Needless to say, climbs in the octagon, beats Shea Mills, gets his arm raised, mad as a box of frogs. Doesn't surprise me that UFC got rid of him not long after. He's now in the WWE, I think. I think he's got a good career in professional oh, really? wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely suits him down to the ground. But yeah, there's been, there's been many a mad moment like that. We used to spend a... 
just a name drop again. Every time I used to go to Vegas, the, the owner of Fighters Only, uh, Rob, he had a great relationship with a, a lot of the Brazilians, more, especially uh, Vandalay Silva. And obviously, it's Vandalay Silva, man. He's basically a demigod. You know, he's, he's an icon. He's a legend. He's, he's everything wrapped into one. And uh, every time we would go to Vegas, I would be waiting for the night when, when my old employer would be like, right, we're going down to, to, you know, Viva de Brazil now to meet Vandalay and his family. And we'd go out and we'd eat and have dinner with Vandalay. And he would just talk about Pride Days and, you know, the shooter box teams and uh, Ninja and Shogun Hua and what it was like training with them and stories about fighting on the beach in the favelas. And, and man, if you had a, if I had a tape recorder then, he could have made a fortune for the content. And But it was just friends share you know sharing stories but it was just a pleasure to be able to be in the company of someone like that you know a true pioneer that you're just like wow it's fucking vandalay silver man and the mad thing is i'm then coming home to my to my mates most of whom aren't obsessed with mma and ufc and i'm like you won't believe i went out with vandalay silver and they're like who and I'm like, Vandalay Silver, man, in, in, in football terms, like a, a night out with Roberto Carlos, for God's sake. And they were just like, right over the heads. But yeah, mad. Just before, we, we want to talk about some, some events that are coming up and want to just get your take on, on, on a few of those, Nick. But just lastly, obviously you, you spoke about boxing and you spoke about MMA um, and you mentioned James Tony there, who not only did he fight Randy, I believe he, he, he ventured into Muay Thai briefly and that didn't go too well for him. Um but for somebody who loves both boxing and MMA, what are your thoughts on these kind of hybrid fights that are happening now? And 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 your thoughts, I guess, on YouTubers becoming boxing superstars? Yeah, I, I think they're two different things. I, I, I wasn't against Connor having an ex, uh, exhibition with Floyd Mayweather, two biggest pay-per-view stars in fight sports at the time, coming together to make an absolute fortune. You know, I was working for BBC Five Live on the night. And, you know, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but I said, listen, this will be fun for four rounds because Connor's fresh, Connor's game as, a, game as anything. And while he's, while he's fit and while, before his shoulders burn out, this will be fun. And Floyd will let it be fun. And that's exactly how it panned out. And, of course, once Connor started tiring, which, we knew, which he does anyway in, the, in MMA, never mind in boxing, because, you know, you've got to think in MMA, your hands are generally by your sides, they're not up by your chin. And holding your hands like this for 12 rounds takes conditioning. So we knew he'd gas out eventually, but I knew that would be fun. But I also knew the amount of money they made, that it was, it was opening Pandora's box. And unfortunately, it's a box that we still haven't closed. Um, I've got no desire whatsoever to see Francis Ngannou take on Tyson Fury. Francis no. Ngannou would not beat anybody in the top 10 of the boxing's heavyweight division. It's a different sport. He would not do it. Can he catch someone cold and knock them out? Of course, man. Of course he could. So could Tai Tuivasa. You know, it, what does that prove? You know, I'd seen something this week where there was a big debate online. He was saying, yeah, but maybe not Tyson Fury, but, you know, he, he, he battered Deontay Wilder. Are, are you taking the piss? Deontay Wilder's an Olympic bronze medalist. He's been doing this for, you know, his entire professional life. Francis is a big dude and a monster, and don't get me wrong, Francis has evolved so much. The work he's done at Syndicate, he has evolved so much to become the UFC heavyweight champion. His skill set, everything about his game is so vastly improved. You know, 
I think it's a tough fight with Cyril Gann. Don't get me wrong. I, I actually fancy Cyril Gann. But they're the two best heavyweights on the planet right now. I want Without John Jones, I want to see it. I'm so excited for it. The tempt- I've got no desire whatsoever to see him go over. Likewise, I've got no desire to see Tyson Fury step inside the octagon because he wouldn't last 60 seconds just like James Tony. I was, I was there the day he did a training session with Darren Till. Believe me, it was just a training session. Throwing knees and kicks at a couple of pads. That was it. In terms of Jake Paul, listen, man, that guy built that audience. Boxing fans are up in arms going, oh, it's terrible, he's taking money out of the pocket. Wait a minute, he's taking money out of the pocket of boxers. Did you buy it? No, I wouldn't buy it. Of course I wouldn't buy it. Well, there you go then. It's not your, it's not, you're not the same audience. You're a boxing fan. You're not paying for it. It's the YouTubers and the, his platform that he's built, his following that he's built, they're paying for it. The only thing I don't like about the whole Jake Paul setup is a lot of not just boxing media outlets, but MMA media outlets have sold their souls to the devil a little bit and are quite happy to splash Jake Paul nonsense all over their websites. You know, comments about fighting Canelo, comments about this and that. Listen, man, I get it. We live in a clickbait era, but if you want to, if you want to, you know, prove yourself as a legit fight sports journalist, then you should have enough nonsense about you to know that um, Jake Paul doesn't win the American Golden Gloves. Jake Paul couldn't win a US national title. He couldn't beat the best light heavyweight in Florida. So let's not talk nonsense about him going up any other level. Would he beat Tommy Fury? I don't know. That's a good fight. They're both novices. They're both absolute 10-fight novices. So why not? It's a fight that's interesting. But let's not talk about them going up any higher because Tommy Fury couldn't win the British title. Yeah. So I've got, yeah. I'm not against it, but it's not for me. Well, you mentioned uh, Francis and Garn there uh, coming up at, at, at 270. How do you see that going? Obviously, you favour you favour Garn. Yeah. What's your prediction how that's going to roll out? I think um, I think Cyril Garn will frustrate him a little bit. I think, you know, big Francis, <clears throat> I, I don't think there's any true desire he wants to go into boxing. I, I, I think it's just, a, you know, it's him and, him and Tyson Fury have leaned on each other. You know, mm. I think uh, Dana said, over Christmas, that this is not Francis's last fight on his deal. This is, you know, he's got at least another fight after this. Who knows what clauses come in? But it's a negotiating tool to say, well, I'm going to go over to boxing then after this one. Otherwise, you know, it's a good way to get more money. And likewise, Tyson Fury's kind of locked in a, a, a pace bid battle with Dillian White. It's another way for him to go, well, I won't take that fight. I'm going to go and do this exhibition with Ngannou instead. So pay me more money. So I, I don't think either of them have got any desire to fight one another. But I think if the problem with Francis, I believe, is that Team Cyril Gann are on their way up the mountain and the desire for him to get one over, not for his own, just for his own career, but to score one for his own team, who Francis abandoned. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of momentum with Cyril Gann, whereas I think Francis had a long time out of the octagon since his win over Stipe. He spent a long time kissing babies and signing autographs and traveling the world, being a superstar, which is great. But I don't know whether he's took his eye off the ball a little bit. And I give him a puncher's chance. I really believe technically, if, 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 if what happens could happen a week on Saturday, I think we could see the next generation of heavyweight come to the fore in Cyril Gann. Yeah. I truly believe that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Cyril Gann fan. I, I, I feel like... As you say, I, I think even if Nganu hasn't taken his eye off the ball, I kind of think in Cyril Garn, you've got the kryptonite to Nganu's 
power, that footwork, the speed, the fact that he can mix up the takedowns and the ground games a little bit as well. Uh, I mean, uh, power punches are probably nothing new to a heavyweight like Cyril Garn, who's had like like kickboxing Muay Thai, whatever it was, background in, in, in striking. I mean, he was doing that for about three years and then became champion and stuff. So I don't think he is in any way going to be phased by Ngannou's power. But uh, but for the first round or two, he's going to have to be careful. But that's what Garn, Garn, that, that's what Garn's good at. He's good yeah. at being... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Being careful and good at, uh, at mixing up the range and, and keeping it to his to his strength. So yeah, I, I definitely see a, a, a Garn win there. And as you say, I, I even would favour him against a returning John Jones. I, I really yeah. think he's got all the tools to to be a long reigning heavyweight champion. And as you say, hopefully only maybe surpassed by Tom Aspinall in a few years. Yes. If, if the fingers are crossed, that's what we'd like to see. Absolutely. But, um, I think John oh, Jones, for me, Cyril Gann is the heavyweight I, I wanted John Jones to be. He's, he's doing to the heavyweight division what I thought John Jones was going to do. Move up and just take the whole heavyweight division to a whole new level, technically, with his footwork, with the way he reads fights, the way he breakdowns fights. Cyril Gana's doing that. Cyril Gana's come in and gone, well, I, I'm doing that now. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a new generation heavyweight. Tom Aspen, all the same. I'm a new generation heavyweight. And the days of the power puncher, the days of someone having two or ticking two or three boxes, well, I tick all five. And I think I thought that was going to be John Jones' job. And that's why I'm still intrigued about John Jones coming back. Listen, I'm a self-confessed. I, I'm the world's biggest John Jones fan as a fighter, obviously. Uh, his personal life can leave a lot to be desired. But as a fighter... I believe he's the greatest we've ever seen. I think he's the best natural, natural talent we've ever seen inside the octagon. But, I, you know, I'm struggling to argue he's the greatest of all time anymore because there's a new club that if you're not in, I don't think you can be considered. If you're not a two-way champion in the UFC, then you're starting to clutch at straws in terms of being con- considered the greatest of all time. I think ultimately it's going to hamper Habib's standing in the history of the sports that he never moved up he never tried to join the elite club you know even GSP could see it coming and GSP bided his time until he'd seen somebody that he thought you know what that's a that's a middleweight I can beat and GSP right I'll come back I'll fight him I'll win the belt right tick that box now I'm a now I'm a two-weight champion as well put me in the same club as Connor and DC and and and, and Triple C and Nunes I'm in that club now as well plus I'm GSP Anderson never did it. John Jones never did it. You know, boom, where, where's my standing? So I get why GSP did it, absolutely. But this is why, you know, I ended this year saying, right, I want Kamara Usman as a middleweight now. I don't care yeah. that Adesanya is his friend. I don't give a damn. I'm here for legacy. I want to know how good Kamara Usman can actually be. And spending the next three years beating welterweights for the second and third time doesn't do anything for his legacy for me. He's got to go to middleweight at some stage this year. If... He keeps the belt wrapped around his waist against our Rocky, obviously. That's the thing, though. The, the, really, the interesting thing that I don't think people talk about enough when it comes to the double champions is it feels like 
not all double champions are created equally. And what I mean by that is in terms of the weight discrepancies between the leap ups. It's all right for Henry Cejudo to stick on the extra 10 pounds or Connor to stick on the extra 10 pounds. And it really does put into perspective maybe what Cormier did. Granted, mm-hmm. obviously, Stipe got him back twice. And it makes you think maybe Stipe wasn't taking him as seriously as he could have done. I don't know. But when you think about someone moving up from light heavyweight and having, what is it, a 50-pound, potential 50-pound yeah. discrepancy between where they normally fight and the limits where they could fight next, that's insane. Whereas, yeah. and it really does put into perspective that the 10-pound difference and even the 15-pound difference that we, we see with, with GSP and, and what you're talking about with Usman and stuff like that, in a way, I kind of feel like you have to put a bit of extra extra weight and gravity on people that have made that increased weight gain to, and go out and fight people that are that much bigger than them yeah. instead of just that, that 10 pound difference. I think that, I think that's why last year, if Adesanya had managed to have won the yeah. belt up at light heavyweight, that could have well been the, the most impressive dual weight title victory of all time. Because, you know, I agree with you. The Cormier jump up was phenomenal, but Let's be honest, Cormier was only ever light heavyweight champion when John Jones was suspended. So yeah. his light heavyweight reign always had that caveat of, yeah, but, you know, because John's on the bench. Mm. Uh, and I think that will always kind of hamper him as well, even though what DC did was absolutely phenomenal. I think if Adesanya had have jumped up and managed to beat Jan Blachowicz last year, we could well be saying, wow, okay, now Adesanya's a serious in a serious part of this conversation about the quote, the greatest of all time. So, and I know it's early to do that. We're only three decades into this sport and there's a whole lot of fighting to go, but we love it, don't we, as fans? That's what we like yeah. to talk about. We like to compare eras. We like to compare champions. And on that same note, this is why at the moment, you know, we, we recorded our podcast this morning and I was like, there's only one, if, if Max Holloway is out, there is only one fight I want to see. And that is the King of Cringe, Triple C, come back to try and become <laughs> Quadruple C. Because if he comes back and beats Volkanovski, and by the way, they're the same size, so it's not like there's going to be this huge discrepancy. If, he, if Triple C came back after the layoff he's had and beat Volkanovski, sh- I, I don't think there's a conversation. I think, he, I yeah. think he is the greatest of all time. Mental. Yeah. I think yeah, I think you could be right. I mean, I think you, I think you could. Oh, it's weird to say that. King of cringe because <laughs> we all love to hate him. <laughs> yeah, but, but to be honest, I quite like the cringe. I enjoy the comedy of it. But um, but yeah, you're right. To be a three weight world champion and to do it in that kind of style would be incredible. But I would favour Volkanovski in that fight. I think he's of course. Insane. I think Volkanovski is arguably the pound. I know Usman probably pips him at the moment, but. Volkanovski's up there as a pound-for-pound contender, no shadow of a doubt. Look, we're, we're really aware of time, Nick, but I just want, I'm going to reel off a couple of fights for you and just one word answer, who's going to win? Okay. Moreno, Figueredo, free. Who takes it? Oh, Moreno. Adesanya, Whitaker, two. <sighs> <laughs> He's got to think about it. That's it's a tough one. That's the best fight this year so far. That's, that's my yeah. favourite fight because I'm a huge Bobby Knuckles fan. <clears throat> Me too. And I... I was on record of on BT saying next year there's going to be a young lad come to the UFC because Israel Adesanya, don't miss him. And nobody even knew his name at that point. Um, so I, I'm claiming Izzy as one of mine as well. But put it this way, it will be way better than the first fight because Bobby Knuckles is in a different frame of mind right now. Yeah. 
and I think it's a real fight. And this is the perfect time to get Izzy as well. You know, losing to habits, and he lost his last fight. Um, oh, I, I can't go against Izzy. I can't go against him. Hang on, was Vittori the last fight? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. we had the Vittori fight, didn't he? Yeah, of yeah. course, of course. But, yeah. But, but still, yeah. though, you're right. It's Whitaker's in a different mindset now to what he was, and it's. Uh, I, I think that could be. I think my prediction is. I think it'll be a decision. I yeah. don't think it, anyone's going to get finished in that fight. I think you're it's right. really a much better fight than the first one. But so you're going to sit on the fence there, Nick. Disappointing. But uh, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I, want, I want you off the fence for this one, uh, Makachev Darius. Well, I've predicted Makachev will be lightweight champion by the end of the year. So for that to happen, he's got to beat Benil Dariush. But I remember going to Abu Dhabi maybe 10 years ago, one of the first ever Abu Dhabi trips. And I sat having a coffee with uh, with Rafael Cadero, who's become a good friend of mine. And um, he said then, he said, I've got this young jiu-jitsu kid that's come to the gym. I'm slowly transitioning him into MMA and he'll become a champion one day. You mark my words. And it was Benil Dariush. And the next time we went to Abu Dhabi, he actually fought out in Abu Dhabi. Then I got to meet him for the first time. So even though I've got a connection there, the whole, you know, the, the, the timeline on Dariush, I think Makachev's got that belt by the end of the year. So I'm going to go with Islam. Yeah. I, I, I have to agree with that. But I think Dariush could represent, I mean, Oliveira as well, maybe, but I think Dariush could represent his toughest fight. I really rate Dariush. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. But I think you've got to go with the hyper Makachev at the moment. Yes. Um, Oliveira Gaethje, I know it's not booked yet, but it probably will be. What's your, what's your pick there? Uh, listen, Charles Oliveira for me was the fighter of 2021. I, I know he only had two fights and Kamado had three, but, you know, he was, um, he was pretty much, I think he was a marginal favourite, like marginal favourite for the Chandler fight. And he was a massive underdog for the Dustin Poirier fight. He was a massive underdog for Tony Ferguson at the back end of 2020 as well. I think he had a phenomenal year and he, and he silenced a lot of people. A lot of people who thought that he wasn't going to win the belt, that he wasn't brave enough, that he tapped out too early, early in his career as he got the minerals. For me, he was, the, he was fight of the year 2021, even though most people give it to Kamaru. You know, Kamaru won three fights and Kamaru's finishing dudes now. And I respect that because that was my biggest criticism. He doesn't finish dudes. He's doing it. But he's finishing people when he's four to one on odds on favourites. And that for me, compared to what Oliveira did in 2021. And now, man, Charlie Olives was my fight of the year last year. And I think he'll do the same to Gaethje. I like Gaethje. The million dollar question now is... What, how much of Gaethje is still inside that octagon in Madison Square Garden? You know, that was one of those fights for me, similar to Ortega versus Volkanovski. I know you guys chose that as your fight of the year last year. But there's certain fights when you watch two guys go at it till the final bell, and it doesn't matter who wins at that point. It doesn't matter who the loser is, the winner. They're both winners. They're both, their legacy, their stock has risen so much with fights like that. But there's also an element of, will you ever be the same? Will you ever be the same fighter? And Gaethje has been in a lot of fights like that. Even before UFC, when he was in World Series of Fighting, he was in a couple of absolute barnstormers as well. And at some point in time, those wars catch up with you, especially when you go up a level. And I think he got found out a little bit by Habib. And I think he'll get found out by Charlie Olivers as well. So I'm going to go with Oliveira by submission. Brilliant. And... Look, I think unless Stu, unless you've got something to say, we've run over, but I want to ask you one more question if that's all right. Of course, mate, yeah. 
And no podcast is complete without mentioning his name. Who's next for Conor McGregor? Because, I mean, I'll reel off some names I just wrote down as possibilities. You've got Nate Diaz, Dustin yes. Poirier, Four, yes. Oliveira, RDA, Tony Ferguson, Dan Hooker, maybe, Michael Chandler, George Masvidal. Where does Conor end up? What's his next fight? He looks so big at the moment. He'll get the winner of Garn Francis. He looks massive. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He looks huge. Um, listen, Conor, Conor changed the game. And, you know, I, I followed Conor from his Cage Warriors days right into the UFC. I've been blessed to have a good relationship with him. I spoke to him a lot over the years. I've seen his life change like no other fighter across. You know, I've been in fight sports 22 years. I've never seen anybody's life change as much as his. You know, I've, I've been around successful fighters, I've been close to successful fighters, but I've never seen anybody go from where he was to where he is now, you know, on the verge of becoming a billionaire. It's quite frightening. And it's, inc- it's, it's incredible that when you get him away from the cameras, when you have him in a corridor for five minutes or before you turn the cameras on, he's still Connor. He's st- still just such a nice guy and someone that you root for, you want him to do well. And then... You know, suddenly you see him inside the octagon and the way he reacted after he lost to Dustin and the things he said about his wife and his DMs and all that. And I'm like, that's not the guy I was with yesterday in the hotel room. It's it's weird. I think his life has been changed so much now that the old Connor that we loved, that we all loved with the, the wisecracking Connor, the dancing on the yeah. stage, the I don't give a fuck and all that kind of stuff. And who the fuck is that guy? He doesn't exist anymore. Because Conor McGregor doesn't, his world doesn't consist of training in a gym in Dublin anymore with his mates around him, wisecracking each other every day and, you know, having that kind of quickness and, you know, the crack. His life now is silver service. He's surrounded by effectively servants. He's, he lives the kind of lifestyle that people can only dream of. But you can never be the same person then, both as a fighter and a pay- and a and a professional. And I just think that some of the magic's gone from Connor that made Connor so great, and not just not just physically, not just as an athlete. Of course, he's you know he's slowed down and everything else. That's lack of competition, lack of grind every day on the mats. But I just think on a personal note as well, he's he's a different person, um, and I don't think he he can ever get back what he once had. I don't think he can ever work as hard as Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje, Islam Makachev, Benil Dariush. He's not got his nose in the trough anymore for obvious reasons. You know, his life isn't, he's not the same guy. So that world's not for Conor no more, in my opinion. You know, I had this conversation with Adam. It's like, he's no longer a contender for me. He's no longer championship material. He's He's had one win in six years, and that was against Cowboy. And as we know, Cowboy is notorious for losing it in the dressing room before he even makes his ring walk. And when you make a ring walk against the biggest star the sport's ever seen, come on, Cowboy may as well have just quit in the dressing room. There's no, he was relieved to get put out of there in 40 seconds. So when you see Conor in against actual competition, then you see the lack of daily grind, the lack of commitment from him. So for me, if Conor's going to continue, and that's a big if, um, I I think it's I think it's it's pay per view fights. It's it's Nick Diaz. It's p- p- perhaps Nate Diaz. It's Jorge Masvidal, Masvidal for the BMF belt. Let's get the BMF belt out, man. Masvidal's never going to crack it at welterweight now. So get the BMF belt out. Fight Masvidal. Winner fights Nick Diaz. I'm up for that. I'm up for that Legends League. 
I like it when, you know, you see um, Clay Guida in, in certain fights against certain level of opponent, Joel Auzons, and these aren't title contenders, but they're, they're, they're guys that have been great servants in the sport, and there's a certain demographic. It's almost like we've got a little quasi-legends league running through the UFC at the moment, and there's no reason why that couldn't be a main event. So I'm 100% down for Conor versus either Diaz, Masvidal, BMF belts, you know, International Fight Week. The mad thing is, guys, that does bigger numbers than any other fight you can name. Because it's Conor. And it's Conor against a real opponent. Can you sell me Conor versus Masvidal or Conor versus Diaz International Fight Week? Yes. You know why? Conor could win them fights. Can you sell me Conor McGregor versus Charles Oliveira for the belt when he's only had one win in six years and that was at welterweight against the guy that's basically retired now. He's, he's been spanked twice by Dustin Poirier who got spanked by Charles Oliveira and you're going to sell me Conor McGregor versus Charles Oliveira next? Ah, it's, not, it's not working for me. But Conor yeah, versus but Diaz, yeah. But is that not some of the problem that the UFC, well, it's maybe a good problem for them to have in that, it may not sell to you, but it will sell to people that wouldn't buy the other pay-per-views. It will sell to the casual UFC fan. They'll go, oh, Connor's fighting, and he's fighting for a belt. There's prestige plus the name of Conor McGregor. And therefore, as much as we all sit here and go, Conor McGregor doesn't deserve to fight Charles Oliveira, there is a world in my head where I go, but I can still see the UFC making that fight. If yeah, Connor comes absolutely. back and if Connor came back to, and said, "I will fight Oliveira, or I won't fight at all. I'll just go and retire," I genuinely believe the UFC will go. Oh, we'll have to find a way to spin it, but we'll do it because that is the money. I mean, WME bought or Endeavor bought um, uh, uh, the UFC for like four billion dollars. Mm. They're not. Then they're gonna choose their cash cow to fight as opposed to like go and retire. And I'm not saying that Connor will obviously do that i like to think yeah. that even connor will go i'll probably need to get one win before i yeah. go chasing belts but connor is someone that thinks of legacy and wants the title he wants that belt um <clears throat> so it would as much as i don't think he necessarily deserves it right now i there is a definitely a world where that yeah. fight still gets made anyway yeah i'm not saying listen i'm certainly not saying it's impossible of course i just think it's a hard sell with People that love the sport, that you, you're, yeah. you're hardcore fans, if you like, you're, you're people that are paying in the US now seventy five dollars a pay per view. It's a hard sell with them. Whereas I'm probably getting more out of Conor versus Masvidal for the BMF belt than I would Conor versus Charles Oliveira. I think Conor could actually win. I think Masvidal plays his part as well. I think it becomes almost Conor versus Mayweather esque in its promotion. Um, and you get Connor then with a bit of gold around his waist anyway. And then you could do, right, well, Connor's won a fight now. Now we can actually go, okay, he's back in the spotlight. People are going, oh, Connor, Connor came back and won. Amazing. Right, when's he fighting next? Well, now he's going to fight Charles Oliveira. Or now he's going to fight, you know, Dustin Poirier for the fourth time, whatever it may be. So, Or now he's going to fight Nick Diaz. I think you can still make money that way. Don't get me wrong. Charles Oliveira's like, no, no, no. Get me Conor McGregor. I want Conor McGregor. Of course he is. Because he wants the biggest payday of his career. But I just think for for the sport itself, I think there's a massive opportunity now to take Conor on a slightly different path, but just allow him that. Because he needs to win fights. 
He needs to have a successful fight camp and get the taste of winning again. Can't just keep throwing him in against the best guy. That was the problem with Habib. He came back after two years out and went, yeah, just get me Habib now. If Conor had then taken a, you know, almost like a top 10 fight and then Habib, what, could the outcome have been different? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. But what I do know is that Conor Stale going in against the best the best in the division at the time, Habib, the GOAT, the best on the planet at the time, was always going to end in tears. It was never, ever going to play out. You know, that the guy who beat, um, the guy who became the lightweight champion, beat Eddie Alvarez, the best win of Conor's career, was two years removed. He'd spent a year doing nothing but box and then cashing the biggest check of his life. It was never, ever going to be Habib. So, but again, that is, is that the fundamental issue with Conor? There's nobody around him anymore that can tell Connor what to do because Connor's the CEO of Connor, you know. So I, I'm a massive fan, and listen, on a personal point of view, cards on the table. Whenever Connor McGregor fights, that is my most successful week of the year. I make more money professionally <laughs> than a Connor fight week than any other time because every outlet wants wants to speak to me, wants me to do comms, wants me to do this. So of course I want Connor to continue fighting for the next ten years. But for him to do that, he needs to actually win some fights and get that love back. And I just don't know whether it'll, whether we'll see it again. Hopefully we do. Hopefully we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nick, thanks so much for your time, man. It's been, been an wicked, absolute Stu. pleasure Thank you so much. Appreciate it, honestly. I could I could keep going for hours, as you could tell. But uh, <laughs> listen, I just want to say congratulations on the podcast, man. It's wicked. I think you guys... <clears throat> I've jumped in. Like it reminds me when me and Adam started Fight Disciples. We we said we wanted to do a insider fight sports podcast, but it was never ever geared at hardcore fans ever, and it still isn't. You know, our our, our target audience has always been football fans because there's a lot more football fans with a passing interest in fight sports than it is in people who are dead hard fight sports fans. So we've always had that kind of casual approach. And I, I feel like your show is, is, you know, is on a similar vein where you guys are like, listen, man, we're just super fans, you know, and, and we're yeah. going to see, see how far we can ride this and hopefully speak to some of the best people. And I think it's brilliant that the UFC have helped facilitate and get the likes of Volkanovski on the show. And listen, I'm a big fan. I've enjoyed your show this year. And hopefully your first year as podcasters as in Sourger going into year two, because uh, I want to see you guys at an event, man. I want to see you on Media Row. But that's it. But that's well, the first time we saw you, uh, me and Screw were at the the first podcast awards where you yes. won, and we see you there, and uh, and it was like an MMA podcasters won. <laughs> it, it was like, and obviously Pip and I were both massive MMA fans. It was like it was great to see all the sports podcasts an MMA podcast won, like, and that was a fair few years ago now. Yeah, well, twenty seventeen. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mental, amazing, mental. <laughs> no, but you guys, well, are you guys enjoying it though? Yeah, you enjoying it. Oh mate, absolutely. I mean, as I said, like with the, with the with the, I mean, we have been in touch with the UFC, and they've tried to facilitate a couple of things for us. But uh, but Volk was like a smash and hope on Instagram. I just I just messaged Amazing. him, and it turns out because you you kind of know what territories might have watched the in betweeners, and Australia, <laughs> other than the UK and Ireland, is the big one. And yeah. uh, and I was like, let's just shot in the dark. And I said, I think I said it on a previous podcast. That uh, there's been some moments like that moment where I got a message back 
from Alexander Volkanovsky, the featherweight champion of the world. Another immediately voice noted Stuart was like, oh my God, guess what? It's Pete's replied. I didn't even tell you I was doing this. So I think Pete replied. He's replied. He's replied. And it's just like a kid in like, like Santa's coming or something like that. It's just like, it's crazy. So, um, so yeah, it hasn't soured us at all. We've, we've Good. absolutely loved it. And that is the big thing is that for the, for the September card that was supposed to be the London event, uh, we were talking to people that are trying to get into the media thing and we'd be like, we don't know what we're doing, but we'll just pretend we're media people and then we'll just see if we can talk to people and have a laugh. And uh, and that was kind of it. Like, you know, um, but obviously, sadly, that hasn't happened. But we're hoping that at some point, March, fingers crossed, any of that stuff, because we've had a re- what, what's been really lovely is getting to know the Cage Warriors guys a little bit. Yes. And, uh, yeah. and being able to go to not as many events as we would have liked uh, for our own personal reasons and COVID and all that kind of stuff. But um, but to get to one or two uh, uh, Cage Warriors events has been amazing. And that's really opened my eyes up because, you know, I've, I've been aware of Cage Warriors for a long time. I've been aware of like Paddy for a long time and people like that. But to actually go to these events and get to know these fighters now before they make their jumps to the UFC, like Ian Gary and stuff like that, has, has been lovely. And, and, and it's been really nice. And it kind of just opens my eyes up even more to a world that I, I was already really passionate about. So yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's all been great, man. And we hope to see you at an event soon. Yeah, man. Hopefully March 19th gets signed off. Let's hope uh, to keep crossed. these re- lockdown restrictions because that's they're just waiting for capacity. As soon as they get thumbs up, we can do capacity at the O2. We're on. It's locked in. So Brilliant. fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Crossed. Absolutely. Lovely. Yeah. Thanks, Lars. Cheers, Cheers, boys. Pleasure. Take care. Thank See you, you mate, soon. Man. All the best. All the best. There you go. Nick Pete. One absolute gent he was, Blake. Oh, absolutely brilliant. And that's the thing. He's so obviously passionate and knowledgeable about the sport. And that's that's just all you want, isn't it? You want someone... He's effectively just a fan that is also incredibly knowledgeable and can just talk really well about about the sport. And that's that's what you want. And obviously, he's he's not just... Like, I think it's very easy to watch like the BT Sport coverage and go, who's this Nick Pete guy? Is he like Adam Catterall's mate? And, and he was kind of almost, he was playing his, himself down a little bit by sort of saying, oh, I'm just lucky that, that Adam Catterall's got no, me. No, that's why that. I stepped in. And yeah. I was like, no, you've got connection there. That's And that passion comes across. Like, you know, you should, should definitely know, you know, when, when you're competent and good at something. And 100% he is. The fact that he doesn't need notes. Yeah, but the thing, that's, that's the thing it comes from. He's not just like, oh, he's not just someone's mate who's a big fan of MMA. This guy was the editor of, of Fighters Only. This guy yep. was working for Boxing News. This guy's been studying sports journalism for a long, long time. And so. I don't think he was meant to be studying sports journalism. He just turned up, though, didn't he? <laughs> he turned up to try and get a girlfriend, <laughs> a hairdressing girlfriend. That's all he wanted. And he's ended up with a career in fight sports. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but I think that that's, you know, he's, he's obviously being very, very humble there. But he's, he's put in the groundwork and the miles to be 100%. editing those publications and being a part of, of that as a journalist you know that's not just someone's make this turn up this is a guy that really knows the sport has got relationships with fighters and coaches and gyms and can back up what he says with first hand information and and that's why he comes across so well because it's 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 knowledge that's from years and years of hard work 
and multi-award-winning podcast. Take yeah. nothing, you know, let's not overlook, you know, how, how incredible what he's done with Fight Disciples is. And yeah, a, a, absolute gent. It was it was a, a, a real pleasure. To, I've, I've not met him before. I know you obviously done the, the podcast, but yeah, what, what, what a top fella. Um, and I mean, he was asking us if, if we're kind of like burnt out from doing the podcast after one year. I don't know, was that, was that fear? Was it fear of those two young, up-and-coming, upstarts, Blake and Stu, oh, the old MMA fan part. We're on your heels, fight disciples. Oh, what do you reckon? Or, I, or do you I think he was, uh, like, condescending? Think he was just yeah, I yeah. think he looked he at like, you and thought, he's the new whippersnapper on the block, and he probably was just being ironic he looked at my haggard old head and thought, <laughs> he looks like a guy that does about 40 podcasts every week for the last 10 years. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> um, no, yeah, no, Fight Disciples is a fantastic podcast, and uh, him and Adam are great, and hopefully we'll get Adam on the show at, at one point soon as well. And I think it's just really lovely thing to get different perspectives. You know, we, we've had, like, the John Goodens and the Mark Goddards and the Sean Sheehans, and, and Nick Pete falls into that category of someone that's unbelievably knowledgeable but has a slightly different perspective on the sport than than the fighters do and it's always great to to get those guys on the show and to talk about MMA and also to get their predictions what they think and you know that Connor stuff was always very really interesting at the end there as well absolutely and and all those episodes them, them guests that Blake just mentioned they're all available now you can go and listen to them all for free alongside obviously we spoke about Volkanovski guesting on the podcast um Obviously, Nick mentioned Dan Hardy. You know, many times throughout the uh, the episode, go check out our chat with Dan Hardy. Personally, he was one of my favourites. Um, and you obviously just mentioned uh, the Mark Goddard one, which again is just yes. a fascinating insight yeah. into a completely different perspective uh, of uh, of the octagon. And it's, uh, it's it's a great nut of that. The best thing to do is subscribe. That way, you know, they just pop up on your listening device every week, and you don't have to go looking too hard for them. And there's over seventy episodes now. And yeah, aside from the ones we've mentioned there's a load of people if you scroll through that you'll be like oh, I didn't know they've had them on didn't know they've had them on because we've had a real we've been so lucky you know and it was really kind of neat to, to, to be you know complimentary about our first year in podcasting and we have we've been blessed and, and super lucky to have got to have so many amazing chats with some some top people absolutely absolutely well is there is there, is there anything else to say goodbye 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 <laughs> <laughs>